welcome back to another episode of the Little Shop of Murders podcast. I am your host, Mike. Uh, it's been a crazy month. As you can see, I haven't been able to record anything or post anything, I mean. Um, lots been going on, family life and stuff like that. Internet's been crazy here. Uh, finally got internet back up. Everything's going good family-wise. Uh, currently, we are packing to get ready for a big move. Um, my kids are at their grandparents, so that, that will help us get our stuff packed up and kind of keep the little ones out of the way. Last episode we talked about Mary McKnight. She's out of Michigan uh, back in the 1900s. Um, bit of a crazy lady. Uh, killed her family to basically from what I could comprehend the whole thing was to be able to wear this dress. Um, this week this guy didn't wasn't worried about a dress. Uh, his name is John Edward Robinson. Uh, he's out of Kansas, the Kansas and Missouri area. He was born in Cicero, Illinois. He was the third of five children to an alcoholic father and a disciplinarian mother. In 1957, he became an Eagle Scout and reportedly traveled to London with a group of scouts who performed before Queen Elizabeth II. Uh, later that year, he enrolled at Quigley Preparatory Seminary in Chicago, a private boys' school for aspiring priests, but later dropped out after one year due to disciplinary issues. In 1961, he enrolled at Morton Junior College in Cicero to become a medical radiographer, but dropped out after two years, so he wasn't very good about, you know, sticking to things. In 1964, he moved to Kansas City and married Nancy Jo Lynch, who gave birth to their first child, John Jr., in 1965, followed by a daughter, Kimberly, in 1967, and twins Christopher and Christine in 1971. God, that's got to be confusing as hell. Trying to go nicknames with the kids, and they're both Chris. Um, Robinson was arrested for the first time in Kansas City in 1969 after embezzling $33,000 from the medical practice of Dr. Wallace Graham, where he had secured a job as a radiographer using forged credentials. He was sentenced to three years probation. In 1970, Robinson violated probation by moving back to Chicago without his probation officer's permission and took a job as an insurance salesman at the R.B. Jones Company. In 1971, he was arrested again for embezzling firm funds and ordered back to Kansas City, where his probation was extended. In 1975, it was extended again after another arrest, this time charges of security fraud and mail fraud in connection with a phony medical consulting company he had formed in Kansas City. During this period, Robinson cultivated and maintained the outward appearance of a community-minded citizen and family man. He became a scoutmaster, a baseball coach, and a Sunday school teacher. In 1977, he talks his way onto the board of directors of a local charitable organization and forged a series of letters from his executive director to the mayor of Kansas City and from the mayor to other civic leaders commending his generous volunteer efforts and generally singing his praises. Eventually, he had himself named the organization's Man of the Year and threw a festive awards luncheon in his own honor. In 1979, Robinson completed probation. In 1980, he was arrested again on multiple charges including embezzlement and check forgery, for which he served 60 days in jail in 1982. After his release, he formed a bogus hydroponics business and swindled $25,000 from a friend to whom he promised a fast investment return so he could pay for his dying wife's health care. At this time, he reportedly began sexually propositioning 
his neighbor's wives, resulting in a fistfight with one of the husbands. He also claimed to have joined a secret sadomasochism called, called the International Council of Masters and to have become its slave master, whose duties included luring victims to gatherings to be tortured and raped by cult members. Um, in 1984, having started two more fraudulent shell companies, uh, Equiplus and Equi2, Robinson hired Paula Godfrey, who was 19, to work as a sales representative. Um, Paula had told her friends and family that Robinson was sending her away for training. After hearing nothing further from her, Godfrey's parents filed a missing persons report. Police questioned Robinson, who des denied any knowledge of her whereabouts. Several years later, sorry, several days later, her parents received a typewritten letter with Godfrey's signature at the bottom thanking Robinson for his help and asserting that she was okay and did not want to see her family. The investigation was terminated as Godfrey was of legal age and there was no evidence of wrongdoing. No trace of Godfrey has ever been found. In 1985, using the name John Osborne, he met Lisa Stasi and her four-month-old daughter Tiffany at a woman's shelter in Kansas City. He promised Stasi a job in Chicago, an apartment, and daycare for her baby, and asked her to sign several sheets of bank stationery. Sorry, blank stationery. A few days later, Robinson contacted his brother and sister-in-law, who had been unable to adopt a baby through traditional channels, informed them that he knew of a baby whose mother had committed suicide. Hmm. Pretty sure it wasn't suicide. For $5,500 in legal fees, Don and Helen Robinson received Tiffany, whose identity was confirmed by DNA testing in 2000, and a set of authentic appearing adoption papers with the forged signatures of two lawyers and a judge. Stasi was never heard from again. Now in 1987, Catherine Clampett, 27, left her child with her parents in Wichita Falls, Texas and moved to Kansas City to find employment. She was hired by Robinson, who reportedly promised her extensive travel and a new wardrobe. She vanished in June of that year, and her missing persons case still remains open. Um, from 1987 to 1983, Robinson had a little bit of a downtime because he was incarcerated. Um, between 87 and 91, he was in Kansas for multiple fraud convictions, and then in Missouri for another fraud conviction and parole violations. At Western Missouri Correctional Facility, he met 49-year-old Beverly Bonner, the prison librarian who, upon his release, left her husband, a prison doctor, moved to Kansas to work for him. After Robinson arranged for Bonner's alimony checks to be forwarded to a Kansas post office box, her family never heard from her again. For several years, Bonner's mother continued forwarding her alimony checks, and Robinson continued cashing them. By then, Robinson had discovered the internet and roamed various social networking sites using the name Slave Master, looking for women who enjoyed playing the submissive partner role during sex. An early online correspondent was Sheila Faith. Uh, she was 45, whose 15-year-old daughter Debbie was wheelchair-bound due to spina bifida. Robinson, portraying himself as a wealthy businessman and philanthropist, offered to pay Debbie's medical expenses and give Sheila a job. In 1994, the mother and daughter moved from Fullerton, California to Kansas City and immediately disappeared. 
Robinson cashed Faith's pension checks for the next seven years. Gradually, Robinson became well-known in the increasingly popular BDSM online chat rooms. In 1999, he offered a job and a bondage relationship to Isabella Lewicka. I have no idea if I pronounced that right. It sounds right. looks right. A 20-year-old Polish immigrant living in Indiana. When she moved to Kansas City, Robinson, who was still married to Nancy, gave Lewicka an engagement ring and brought her to the county register where they paid for a marriage license that was never picked up. Um, it is still unclear whether Lewicka believed that she and Robinson were married. Uh, she told her parents she had married but never told them her husband's name. She did sign a 115-item slave contract that gave Robinson almost total control over every aspect of her life, including her bank accounts. Sometime during the summer of 1999, she disappeared. Robinson told a web designer he employed that she had been caught smoking marijuana and deported. Around the time of Lewicka's disappearance, a licensed practice, practical nurse named Suzette Truton moved from Michigan to Kansas to travel the world with Robinson as his submissive sex slave. Truton's mother received several type letters signed by her daughter and perpetually mailed while the couple was abroad, all the although the envelopes all bore Kansas City postmarks. The letters were, as her mother said, uncharacteristically mistake-free. Later, Robinson told Truton's mother that she had run off with an acquaintance acquaintance after stealing money from him. Um, Over time, Robinson became increasingly careless, as they always do, and did a progressively poorer job of covering his tracks. By 1999, he had attracted the attention of authorities in both Kansas and Missouri as his name came up in more and more missing person investigations. Robinson was arrested in June 2000 at his farm near, I'm going to butcher this, Lissing, Kansas. Uh, after a woman filed a sexual battery complaint against him and another charged him with stealing her sex, to- sex toys. Imagine getting that charge. The theft charge in particular finally gave investigators the probable cause they needed to obtain search warrants. On the farm, a task force found the decaying bodies of two women, later identified as Lewicka and Truton, and two 85-pound chemical drums. Across the state line in Missouri, other members of the task force searching a storage facility where Robinson rented two garages found three similar chemical drums containing corpses sub subsequently identified as Bonner, Faith, and her daughter. All five women were killed in the same way, by one or more blows to the head with a blunt instrument. In 2002, Robinson stood trial in Kansas for the murders of Truton, Lewicka, and Stasi, along with multiple lesser charges. After the longest criminal trial in Kansas history, he was convicted on all counts. He received the death sentence for the murders of Truton and Lewicka and life imprisonment for Stasi's because she was killed before Kansas reinstated the death penalty. He also received a 5-20 to 20 year prison sentence for interfering with the parental custody of Stasi's baby, 20 and a half years for kidnapping Truton, and 7 months for theft. After his Kansas convictions, Robinson, Robinson faced additional murder charges in Missouri based on evidence discovered in that state. Missouri is far more aggressive in its pursuit of capital punishment convictions. Um, 
Kansas hasn't executed anyone since reinstating its death penalty statute in 1994. And Robinson's attorneys were anxious to avoid a trial there. Uh, Chris Coster, the Missouri prosecutor, insisted as a condition of any plea bargain that Robinson led authorities to the bodies of Stasi, Godfrey, and Clampett. Robinson, who has never cooperated in any way with investigators, refused. But Coster still faced pressure to make a deal because his case was not technically airtight. Among other issues, there was no unequivocal evidence that any of the murders had actually been committed within his jurisdiction. Robinson, on the other hand, faced pressure to plead guilty to avoid an almost certain death sentence in Missouri, and failing that, yet another capital murder trial back in Kansas. When it became clear that the women's remains would never be found without Robinson's cooperation, a compromise of sorts was reached. In a carefully scripted plea in October 2003, Robinson acknowledged that Coster had enough evidence to convict him of capital murder for the deaths of Godfrey, Clampett, Bonner, and the Faiths. Though his statement was technically a guilty plea and was accepted as such by the Missouri court, observers remarked that it was notably devoid of any contribution or specific acceptance of responsibility. He received a life sentence without possibility of parole for each of the five murders. In November of 2015, the Kansas Supreme Court vacated the Truton and Stasi murder convictions on technicalities, but upheld the Lewicka comp conviction and its accompanying death sentence. The ruling marked the first time that Kansas's highest court has upheld a death sentence since reinstatement of capital punishment there in 1994. Robinson currently remains on death row at the El Dorado Correctional Facility in Kansas. Um, and then in 2005, Nancy, um, Robinson's wife, filed for divorce after 41 years of marriage, citing compatibility and irreconcilable differences. Wonder what those were. In 2006, Stasi's daughter, um, known since her faked adoption as Heather Robinson, filed a civil suit against Truman Medical Center in Kansas City and social worker Karen Gaddis. The suit accused Gaddis of putting Robinson in contact with Stasi and her newborn daughter in 1984. After he told Gaddis that he ran a charitable organization providing assistance to unwed mothers of white babies. In 2007, Heather and the hospital reached a settlement for an unclosed, or undisclosed sum, which Robinson said she would split with her biological grandmother, Patricia Sylvester. Heather won a second judgment in 2007, preventing Robinson from profiting from any future potential book sales or film rights. In 2006, the body of a young woman was found in a barrel in an area of rural, rural Iowa where Robinson reportedly had a business partner. She was initially considered a possible victim of Robinson, but was later identified as Lois Tomich, who police believed was killed by her ex-husband. Kansas and Missouri police note that long stretches of Robinson's time remain unaccounted for, and they fear that there are additional undiscovered victims. Um, he's maintained the secrets about what he's done with the women. He won't ever tell. It's the last control that he's got, said one investigator. There are probably other barrels waiting to be opened, other bodies waiting to be found. All right, thanks for joining me again. Um, kind of a short one. So was the last one, I guess. Um, I am planning on having a guest host here in I don't know, the next couple episodes who 
never know might turn into a co-host we'll see how that goes um but yeah if you want to check us out on facebook it is a little shop of murder uh the e in murder is a three uh, facebook doesn't like the word murder started noticing facebook doesn't like a lot of things they bleep out random ass words um also i do have a patreon same thing little shop of murder this one does have an e um I don't have an email or anything set up for it yet, um, but you can message me on Facebook. Um, let me know any, you know, murders or whatever true crime cool stuff you want to listen to, and I will dive into it and see what I can find. Um, but, yeah, other than that, I think that is it. So I will talk to you guys later.